Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Welcome to the Text Talk podcast. This episode we'll be looking at Acts chapter 15. Edwin, what is our reading for today? We're going to start the chapter off in verse 1, read all the way through verse 6. I am reading from the English Standard Version. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Appreciate that reading so much. In our last episode, we were concluding talking through some aspects of Acts chapter 14 and where we left Paul and Barnabas was back in Antioch of Syria at the completion of their first evangelistic journey, their first missionary journey. And interesting there, we were ending on the word of reports uh, in verse 27 of Acts chapter 14. talks about when they, when that church had come together, they reported all that God had done with them, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they were there a long uh, time with the disciples, Barnabas and Paul talking about and giving report of all the things that God had done and how God had opened the door. And it was all positive. Very positive at, at least the Well, at least the way Luke records this report. They, we don't see the, all the negatives and, oh, well, we were persecuted here and it was terrible there. But no, we've had a great door of faith opened by the uh, to the Gentiles. we got a lot of Gentiles that are walking through that door and now they come uh, now they're back in Antioch, right. they're giving this report, and there are some of the folks that are hearing the report that end up having a problem, or some folks come in that well, hear this yeah. report and, and end up so having that's a problem. the deal. What we have is a very satisfied, happy, and blessed congregation in Antioch, a congregation itself that is composed of Jews and Gentiles together. There is peace uh, among the brethren, the word is spreading, it's all positive, and then uh, it looks like a new group of teachers have come from Jerusalem, come down from Jerusalem, which is kind of a curious little geographical note because Antioch of Syria is a bit north of Jerusalem on a map, but elevation-wise, everybody comes down from Jerusalem. Well, that even helps us understand because it, it actually said, or at least the ESV, I'm not sure what the New King James says there, mine says came down from Judea, but that really does help us understand where in Judea they're talking about because mm-hmm. when they use that idea of coming down for the Jewish mind, and, and at this time, that was always the idea of how you traveled away from Jerusalem because you were coming down the mountain. And so everywhere was down from the mountain of God. Everywhere was down. And if you were, and it didn't matter which direction you were traveling, if you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up. So the last time that a teacher had come down from Jerusalem and Judea to Antioch, it was actually Barnabas. 
And the reaction of Barnabas was he saw the hand of God at work in this church. He just wanted to continue, you know, keep it going and build it up. He goes and brings a Saul of Tarsus to come back and help. What a different attitude. What a different perspective from these teachers who have now come down to Antioch. They bring a teaching. They bring a word that would suggest uh, things are, have gone awry here. Things are going all wrong. Unless you are circumcised and according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they're telling. That's right. So we've got all these Gentiles that have come in, presumably not circumcised at all. Mm -hmm. Paul was not circumcising them. Barnabas Mm -hmm. was not circumcising them. They were, as they were going on their missionary journeys, they were not circumcising the Gentiles. No, we were reading that. We were seeing that if there was a response recorded, it is about faith and baptism to this message, not about circumcision, not about taking on Torah observance. So now, no, no small debate no small dissension what an interesting way to word that (laughs) they had no small dissension and dispute with them a little bit of a roundabout way to say they argued for a long time yeah there was not peace and tranquility in the church of antioch now it's getting tense and so what they decided to do was to go to jerusalem and have the first mother church church council wow is that your takeaway there? <laughs> no, it is not. But that, that, is, that is the normal takeaway. A lot of folks look at Acts 15 and they think it is the first of a long series of church councils that bring representatives together to argue and debate some matters so that they can vote on it. And then that's what's going to be taken to the churches. But that is not what is happening here. Right. This is interpreted by some to give a, I guess, a, a biblical justification for the idea that authority and religion is inherent within the church and the councils of the church. And the very first church council you see happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. I don't believe that's the truth, but I'll tell you that gets taught an awful a lot, lot. A lot. A you lot. You can do that in a lot of places, which leaves us with the question, when this got to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas are having no small debate with the Mm -hmm. folks who are teaching it, why then did they turn around and go to Jerusalem about this matter? Well, I'm going to tell you that my take is the reason why they go to Jerusalem about this matter is because these teachers had come from Jerusalem and come from Judea. They wanted to go back to the source of the teaching. And I do think there is a, a question, okay, by what authority are you saying these things? Yes. Is this really what apostles are teaching? Is there some rift between, say, a Peter and a Paul, as a couple of apostles by name, who are teaching two different Gospels. Where's this teaching come from? Where are you coming from? And we can learn this more than just trying to make a play on word of coming down from Judea. There in that first verse, it's down from Judea. So I guess there's the possibility that it's Christians from anywhere in Judea. However, when we get to the letter that is going to be written by the time this whole meeting is over, here's what they said in the letter in verse 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. Mm -hmm. So 
So number and, one. And, and who's speaking there? Verse 23, it is the apostles, the elders, the brethren. Of the Jerusalem congregation. Of the Jerusalem congregation. So we've got why do Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is where this problem is starting. Why do the apostles and elders and the church at Jerusalem write this letter? Because they admitted the problem started here. Mm -hmm. It's our folks. It's our people that have gone out and said this. We do want you to know we did not give them this instruction. Yeah, it's our people, but it's not our doctrine. It's not our teaching. And so we understand it looks like our congregation has been teaching this, but we did not give them this instruction. And so we're letting you know that's not us. That's not the truth. We're, we're, we're not about that. You don't have to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. And so what we recognize here, I think, is I, I think there's two directions on this that, that we need to go. One, we've already mentioned, this is not the mother church. This Correct. is not, let's get back to the mother church. Let's have a council of representatives to discuss this, to vote on it, to figure out what we're going to teach. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing I think we need to recognize here is that it did not violate the congregational autonomy of either Antioch or Jerusalem for them to come together and talk about this. Okay. Because these teachers had come out from Jerusalem and were upsetting the Antioch congregation, then the Antioch congregation had every right to say, let's go find out what this is about. Let's go talk to the brethren at this other congregation. A lot of times today, when when one congregation finds out that another congregation is teaching something that does not seem to be scriptural, and they ask about that, and they want to talk and meet, what often is said, oh, congregational autonomy, we're allowed to do whatever we want, you don't get to talk to us about this. Congregational autonomy means, it means at the end of the day, if, if your congregation disagrees with what I'm bringing to you, you get to, your congregation is autonomous and does what it believes. The scripture says, yeah, but that so, doesn't mean I don't get to talk to you about it. Yeah, uh, uh, conversation and and uh, governance maybe two two different things if I, if I can use that language. So you just dropped, I think, uh, a, a bombshell concept uh, as you just maybe two, maybe a couple. No, but uh, congregational autonomy. Uh, let's hit rewind for just a second. Let's unpack that for concept for a minute, okay? okay. okay. Uh, that I think you're right. It goes hand in hand with this concept of of mother church and and councils and all that. In that evangelistic journey, we just got done discussing the last few episodes in Acts 14. We saw in the 23rd verse, as Paul and Barnabas went back through these towns where they had preached the gospel, where churches had begun, that they did something. It says that they, I'm reading Acts 14 verse 23, they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That each congregation newly established had its own leadership appointed and ordained for that congregation. A plurality of elders to be leaders to shepherd over those churches. What we do not see in the New Testament is some interconnection Um, of ecclesiastical authority and structure binding those congregations together, that each one is commended to the Lord. The Lord is what would unite them together, his teaching and his word. There are apostles that have their role. We've discussed that a little bit. But each congregation then is a unit with its own leadership, its own governance, thus autonomy. Well, Peter himself is going to write a letter years later in which he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among 
you. Mm-hmm. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Who is this flock that is among you? What what Peter is recognizing is that each shepherd is not shepherding the universal church. Mm-hmm. There, there is, and I get that. And of all that people passage, to say that, it was Peter. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. I, I get that this passage does not just nail down congregations per se, but you are left asking, okay, what are the limits and bounds of the flock that I am among? Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be less than everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most natural thing in Scripture is that congregation level. This is the flock that I am part of. And so these shepherds are shepherding and governing there. So in Acts 15, we see these two extremes that people get to. The one extreme is that there's not autonomy. There's actually a mother overarching organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, they go to Acts 15 to try to say it, but that's not what's happening. They're not going to Jerusalem because it's a mother church mm-hmm. or because there they can have a council that now organizes, governs, tells all the churches what to vote, vote teach, votes. They're not doing that. Yeah. Then you get to that other extreme of where people like you and me who have said, no, congregations are separate. They are autonomous, right. which means nobody else is ever allowed to question what we're doing. Nobody ever is allowed to approach us about mm-hmm. what we believe and teach. Mm-hmm. And yet what Acts 15 demonstrates is, no, even while there's autonomy, we do approach, we can question, especially if what you're doing in your congregation and the folks you're sending out are impacting where I am. Exactly. And especially then. And so we need to recognize that. And I think one of the other things that drives this home Because the idea of the mother church, the overarching organization, has Paul and Barnabas going to Jerusalem to find out what to teach about this matter. Correct. We're going to go there, and that's the that's the that's how it's framed up. Yeah. If if you if this is a council, correct. That cannot possibly be what's happening unless Paul is lying to us in Galatians, when in the first chapter he points out the gospel I teach, I didn't get from men. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it from the apostles. I didn't have to find it from them. I received the gospel by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not have to go find out what to teach about the gospel. Paul knew the gospel. He was going to address the fact that what was coming out of Jerusalem was not the gospel. That's exactly right. And as we go down further into this chapter, we're going to see that there is unity in the message preached by Peter and, and Paul. Paul. Yeah, there's not a division. There's not there's, a there's Petrine not Christianity and a Pauline Christianity. No, that that is that is not what the Bible teaches at all. Hey, look at that. <laughs> we're, 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 we're scratching the surface here on Acts 15, but there's been <laughs> Don't some Don't get too excited. We've got to stop now. Uh, for us to, to chew on and consider, and I'm sure people are going to want to listen into the next episode. You may want to respond to this one. We'd love to hear your comments or questions. Send us an email, texttalk at christiansmeethere.org, texttalk at christiansmeethere.org. But now we're going to close out with a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the day that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for your written revelation, the Word of God, the Bible, and that we have the freedom to open it up, to read it, to study, to talk talk about these things. Our desire, Father, is to know you so that we love you, so that we serve you and for your glory. Father, please bless us to that in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. 
check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. Well,